Welcome back, everyone, to Toward Today Ministries and our continuing series called Parsha Seasonings, where we take the weekly Parsha and we bring out some of the seasonings, some of the details that just make the insights and the portion richer. And uh, these details come from the Hebrew and from the Torah scroll. And in this week's Torah portion, Re'e, which means see, uh, we have just a few to share with you. Uh, Re'e is from Deuteronomy 11.26 to chapter 16, verse 17. So let's dive right in. If we look at the first verse, Deuteronomy 11, verse 26, first verse of the portion, it says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. In Hebrew, this is seven words. Re'e, there's the first word of our Torah portion, means see. Anoki no ten lefeneka. I am placing before your face hayom today, baraka, blessing, ukulala, and a curse. Now we need to understand something about blessings and curses. Uh, I find a, a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to these two terms. Um, when we hear the word curse, we think of occultism and witchcraft and hexes and all that nonsense. Uh, that's not what the word means in Hebrew. In Hebrew, a blessing and a curse are exact opposites of one another. Blessing, you can think of it this way. It's like having oil in the machine. And the machine runs smoother and quieter and longer and cooler. And everything just hums along. But if you take the oil out of the machine, that's kalala, that's curse. And the machine will run hot and loud and it will vibrate and shake and it won't go very long before it freezes up and then you have to perform maintenance on the machine. You're always having to stop and fix things. <clears throat> and we could live our lives one way or the other. The difference is to obey the Torah, to make the Torah our heartbeat and the way we live out of love for God. It's like oil in the machine. Things just go smoothly. doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. There will be tests and trials. But you won't have more than what are actually assigned for you. And curse means you just walk through life stumbling along, always having to take a step back to fix something. And there's just a lot of wasted emotion and wasted energy involved. Another way to think of it is this. Blessing means taking a long walk and the wind is at your back, just helping you just move along. But curse is having the wind in your face. It's resisting you. It takes more energy. It's more fatiguing and just more distracting all the way around. <clears throat> I want blessing in my life, not curse. Well, anyways, the, uh, the rabbis have noticed that this seven word long verse has an affinity to Genesis 1.1, the first verse of the Bible which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Barashit bara Elohim, in the beginning, he created, who did? Elohim, et hashemayim, the heavens, et haaretz, the earth. So, blessing is something that comes from walking in the spirit, walking according to the, the rules of heaven. Curse comes from investing everything just in the physical realm and the earth. The master said that God is spirit and he seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And Paul challenges us to walk in the Spirit. So to walk in the Spirit means to walk in the light of the things God has given us from the spiritual realm, specifically His Word. And when we do that, we experience blessing in our lives. And when we don't, well, good luck. You're going to have a lot of of resistance in your daily walk. If we go on down a bit further to Deuteronomy 12, verse 11, we read this, Then it shall come about that the place in which Adonai your God shall choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, and so on. The Israelites at this point in Deuteronomy are just getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And through Moses, God is promising that he's going to choose a place, designate a specific place in Israel where he will record his name and where his temple will be built and where you'll bring, we'll all bring our offerings, our sacrifices, only there. You know, until the tabernacle was built, people could bring offerings anywhere they wanted. Build an altar, send up an offering. But when the tabernacle was built, a new law was instituted that you only bring your offerings at the altar in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle's moving. But God says there's going to come a resting place. There'll be a foundation prepared for the tabernacle. And I will designate, designate that place in due time. And this occurred in David's lifetime. And through David, God revealed the place where he wanted to record his name and the place for his temple to be built. And we know today that that place is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And this is why no sacrifices are performed today. You can only perform a sacrifice at the place God has designated. But that place today is under Muslim control, under Palestinian control. And they're not going to take kindly to someone going up there (laughs) to make a sacrifice to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But somehow in due time, God is going to orchestrate events so that the way will be open for his temple to be rebuilt and the sacrifices, as the prophets tell us, will resume. Now, I'm going through all of this to point out the Hebrew word that means shall choose. And that word in Hebrew is yivkar. Bechar means to choose, yivkar means will choose. And the rabbis have noticed something very interesting about this word that relates to the temple. <clears throat> They've discovered that if you take these four letters, Yud, Beit, Ket, Resh, they can be rearranged three different ways to make three different words. The first one is to rearrange them to spell Yud, Resh, Ket, Beit, which is the word Yerachev, Yerachev, which means will widen, will broaden. And we know that God has made his house, historically, his place in Jerusalem to be a house of prayer for all nations. In fact, when Herod the Great uh, kind of uh, renovated the temple and the Temple Mount, he enlarged it to where it's well over 30 acres inside. 30, uh, 30 football fields would fit on top of that. Why did he make it so big? He knew the prophecy of Gentiles coming from around the world to the the house of God, 
to pray and to bring their offerings. So he made it big to accommodate all these visitors from the nations. So the temple is a place, we should not think of it as a, a small place, but as a broad place, a picture of the heavens where all are invited to come. But we can rearrange those four letters another way, Yad Ket Beit Resh, which spells the word Yechaber, which means we'll connect. And isn't the temple a place where we connect with God? In fact, the altar is called God's table. It's a place where we have table fellowship with him. And when a sacrifice was made, part of that sacrifice went on the altar, went up. Part of the sacrifice was given to the priest. The rest of the sacrifice was eaten by the one who brought it and by his family and friends. It was a great time of feasting and of celebration. So it's a place of connecting with God and with others. But these four letters can be rearranged to spell Yud Ket Resh Beit, Yechrav, which means we'll destroy. We'll destroy. And yes, God's temple was destroyed, not once, but twice. But we know that the day will come when it be, will be rebuilt. And once again, people will reconnect. It'll be a, a broad place where people from all over the world will come, as the prophets say. So this uh, word we'll choose contains a lot of hidden meanings and hidden applications to the temple in the Temple Mount, doesn't it? Well, as we go on, we go down to chapter 13, verse 13, and I have commented on the B'nai Belial, sons of Belial, in other teachings, I think in one of the Hebrew key teachings recently. But in verse 13, it says, There are men, sons of Belial, B'nai Belial, gone out from among you, and they have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known. Being a son of Belial is a bad thing. But what does the word Belial mean? It's made up of two words, Beli, which means without, and Ol, which means a yoke, without a yoke. People who don't have a yoke are called B'nai Belial. <clears throat> and they're dangerous. Well, let's think about this for a moment. What is a yoke? A yoke is something you use to take two oxen. They put their heads into the yoke. It captivates them. It keeps them together. It aligns their heads and thus their bodies so that they pull the same direction and accomplish the same goal. We are to have our heads in the yoke of Torah. And when we have our head in the yoke of Torah, our head is aligned with God, our thoughts aligned with His, with the thoughts of Messiah. And Yeshua said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is how we learn of Him, putting our head in the yoke of Torah and walking it out shoulder to shoulder with Him. But to not be yoked to Him. To not put on the yoke of Torah means we're going to go our own way. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes. And that is never, ever a good thing. A little bit further on in Deuteronomy 15, 9, 
It says, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, and it goes on about things we shouldn't say in our hearts. That word unworthy is also the word belial. In other words, take care lest there be an unyoked thought in your heart. A thought you allow to, to take root and grow in your heart. A thought that is not within the yoke of Torah. A thought that is not in alignment with God's thoughts and God's ways. A thought that wants to go its own way. A belial thought, an unyoked thought. And I'm convinced that Paul was thinking of, of this concept we're discussing here when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We, he's talking about spiritual warfare and doing a warfare against uh, uh, mental enemies, the enemies of the lies of the enemy come into our minds. He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Messiah. In other words, we make sure our thoughts are yoked to Messiah so that we will not walk astray, not go astray, not do what's right in our own eyes, but will walk according to His will, according to His ways. So let's keep our heads in the yoke of Torah. If we do, then our minds will be aligned with God's and we'll have the same goal, the same purpose, and walk the same direction. One last thing. You know, I don't talk much about tithing. Uh, I probably will in one of these teachings in the future. But in Deuteronomy 14, 22, it says, You shall tithe all the, field of your, all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And there are several places talk about tithing. And um, tithing, the word to tithe is the word aser, ayin shin resh. Aser, tithe. And we tithe not because God needs our money. He doesn't. And we tithe not only because others may need what our tithes can provide, but we tithe simply to break the willfulness that says, keep it, hang on to it, don't give it away. We break that thing in us that wants to hold on to whatever we have and we can become free to give. So, aser, to tithe, is a, is a great practice. It's a great exercise. And when you say goodbye to that tenth of your income, we should do it with great joy, realizing that God is the source of our security, not our paycheck. Now, we can take the letters that spell the word aser, tithe, and rearrange those. And if we spell it backwards, instead of ayin, sheen, resh, we spell it resh, sheen, ayin. It spells the word rasha, which means wicked. So what is the opposite of giving? Wickedness. Because... The love of money is the root of all rasha, all wickedness, isn't it? And so we can either give or we can hold on. Love is always giving. And the opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. And that means holding on. God wants to break every selfish inclination we have on our hearts. And one of the exercises he's given 
to us to accomplish that is exercise of tithing. So, um, those are just some insights, some seasonings that I hope enrich your study of this week's Torah portion. And, um, and there are many more, I'm sure, but these are the ones that stood out to me this week. And I hope they're a blessing to you and will help inform your walk with the Messiah. So until next time, I wish you shalom and God bless. Over and out.